and welcome to another episode of The Shift Change, our podcast about all things nursing. Today we'll be discussing trauma-informed practice. It's going to be hosted by myself, Claire, and Michelle, and our special guest. Trauma-informed practice is a term in healthcare that is essentially commonplace these days. It is used relatively interchangeably with terms like trauma-informed care, trauma-aware care, and trauma-sensitive care. Many different labels, but all essentially pointing in a similar direction and drawing on similar roots. In healthcare, we have posters asserting we are, quote, trauma-informed. Health authorities offer education for staff on practicing in trauma-informed ways. We have provincial guidelines on the best practices in providing trauma-informed care. And yet, more often than not, Michelle and I are left asking, what does this term really mean? Where did it come from? And does it get at the heart of the caring work nurses have been doing for over a hundred years, or is it different? Join us today as we dive into the topic of trauma-informed practice, first with some history and context, and then through dialogue with our guest, Jessica Key, who will introduce herself in full further on in this episode. An awareness of trauma, as we discuss it today in the healthcare field, first emerged in a North American context following the Vietnam War. This was a war with more video coverage and eyes on than any previous international conflict, and its veterans were returning home to the United States, both talking about and deeply suffering from their experiences. As medical professionals across the United States began the journey of trying to figure out how to best support veterans beyond their physical ailments, the collective journey towards trauma-informed practice began. Two decades later, a seminal study was released by Folletti et al., in 1998, titled Relationship of Childhood Abuse and Household Dysfunction to Many of the Leading Causes of Death in Adults, the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study. This study looked at the insurance health records of over 13,000 adult Americans in conjunction with a self-report retrospective survey regarding what the researchers termed, quote, adverse childhood experiences. The findings from that original study were truly groundbreaking and have continued to shape our collective understanding in healthcare and more broadly of the definitions and prevalence of trauma. Felitti and his colleagues found that experiences of trauma, that is, things such as physical and sexual abuse or parental neglect early in life, were both common and deeply impactful. For example, the study found that more than half of respondents reported at least one adverse childhood experience as per the study's definition, which included psychological, physical, or sexual abuse, violence against mother, or living with household members who were substance users, mentally ill or suicidal, or ever imprisoned. The study also found that people who had experienced four or more categories of childhood exposure compared to those who had experienced none had a four to 12-fold increased health risk for alcoholism, drug abuse, depression, and suicide attempts. This study was in many ways the first formal invitation for researchers, policymakers, and frontline healthcare workers to focus not just on physical wounds or ailments of their patients and clients, but also to look more broadly across time at what may be impacting the mental, emotional, spiritual, and thus physical health of themselves and the people they work with. In the over 20 years since that seminal study was released, there has been a boon of study research, and practice based on this notion of trauma. As a collective in healthcare, we have come to define trauma not just as a person's CTAS score, a measure of the person's physical trauma used by hospital emergency departments, but also by their life experiences. With this has come a valuing of the patient's own voice and input. 
After all, we have come to recognize that not all quote-unquote traumatic events affect people equally. One person may report numerous adverse childhood experiences, but not have any of the potentially related health sequelae, while another person may report just one or no adverse childhood experiences and report the sometimes associated health conditions, such as obesity and suicidality. This quickly becomes one of the challenges that emerges in the area of trauma-informed practice. The data and research on this approach to practice is not one-size-fits-all. If anything, a trauma-informed approach can help invite us to curiosity, but rarely does it, in and of itself, yield concrete answers or treatment plans. Later on in this episode, we'll discuss some of the challenges and perhaps unintended negative impacts that have come with the practice of being, quote, trauma-informed when it comes without caveats. Another pathway that a trauma lens has introduced is the recognition and acknowledgement of intergenerational trauma. Through the study of epigenetics, researchers and healthcare providers have come to recognize that not all genetic information is coded or used equally across all people. Rather, a broad range of factors, including a person's current and historical trauma context, can impact which genes do or don't get turned on as the map of their DNA gets translated into proteins and ultimately every body part, from the heart to their eyelashes to their skin. This combination of emerging knowledge of epigenetics and intergenerational trauma has taught us that traumatic events of the past, such as the Holocaust in World War II Europe or the residential schools in 20th century Canada, are far from being just relics of the past. Rather, these tragic parts of our shared history continue to measurably and tangibly impact the lives and well-being of people today, both from the psychosocial impacts of trauma and the physical genetic impacts. So the questions we'll explore with our guests today take a look at how we understand trauma-informed practice, practically what it looks like to work in this way as nurses, and perhaps most importantly, where we see the shortcomings and unintentional negative impacts of trauma-informed practice. Before we dive in, Let's have our special guest, Jessica Key, introduce herself and maybe tell you a bit about her nursing career and then what life is like outside of nursing. Great. Thank you so much, Michelle and Claire, for having me. Um, my name is Jessica Key. I'm a registered nurse and I am from the Muskmark Zaudinuk uh, nations on the west coast of British Columbia and um, Stellar Irish British on my other side of my family. I'm joining today from the unceded and occupied territories of the Kikiet, Kwantlen, Katsi people, and most of the work that I do is on the unceded territories of the Muscogum, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh peoples, and uh, it's an honor to be able to be in these territories um, as an uninvited guest. So I am, like I said, I'm a registered nurse. My clinical background is um, working with uh, youth with concurrent disorders, so mental health and substance use concerns. And I recently shifted into a new position with uh, Vancouver Coastal Health as an Indigenous patient care clinician. I work on a work on a team with some other nurses and the Aboriginal patient navigators, and we uh, support Indigenous folks um, and their families when they come through acute care sites in uh, in Vancouver Coastal, so mostly out of Vancouver General. We support folks to navigate the system. We um, advocate and. Uh, help communicate across sometimes some um, unclear <laughs> unclear situations for people 
and um, support families and, and just kind of act as an as a extra resource in a lot of ways. And so we also collaborate with the care teams to identify opportunities for culturally safe practice. We help develop care plans and, and look at ways to uh, improve the healthcare experiences and outcomes for Indigenous folks in hospitals. It's interesting and challenging work that is kind of occurring in, in response to some very significant, significant uh, kind of deficits in our healthcare system that impact Indigenous people disproportionately. Outside of nursing, I was, uh, I was telling Michelle, I've been getting my patio garden up and running because um, it's springtime here in the lower mainland and it's beautiful. And uh, we haven't been gardening the past couple of years just because of like space and not having really good light in my in my previous apartment. So really looking forward to getting some uh, tomatoes and lettuce and herbs going on our patio and I can enjoy them from my window, which is really wonderful. So that's a bit about me. Thank you so much for that introduction and it's so great to have you join us today. And then to get the conversation started specifically about today's topic, can you tell us in broad or specific terms, however you want to approach it, what does trauma-informed practice mean to you? For me, the, the way that I conceptualize trauma-informed practice and the ways that I try to apply it in, um, in my work is uh, this lens and uh, idea that everyone that we come into relationship with brings with them their, their life story and their, their complex identity and complex backgrounds. And sometimes what, they, what people bring in is a history of, of traumatic and harmful experiences. And it's our, our job as the professionals, it's our job as the healthcare providers to seek to not exacerbate and re-traumatize people when they come in for, for care and or when we enter into that relationship for care and it's really important i think to bear in mind that we don't need to know the specifics of people's stories to be able to hold that space and have that uh, kind of that level of of respect for for the for the people that we work with and seek to again kind of mitigate the mitigate the risks of of re-traumatized patient when they engage in healthcare. It helps to kind of contextualize uh, trauma-informed practice in awareness of kind of some of the systemic uh, systemic issues and systemic violence that people might be uh, exposed to. We can also strive to provide trauma-informed practice just as a, as a baseline way of, of engaging with people in every situation. Yeah, I think sometimes this is so much easier said than done. Like I find that trauma-informed practice is kind of, I don't know if I want to call it buzzword, but a term that we throw around a lot and say we're doing trauma-informed practice. But can you provide some examples of how this has looked in your own clinical practice as a nurse or how this has played out in your practice? Yeah, and I, I totally agree. I think it's a really easy thing to say that we do this because we've done a course or we have a policy that says we're, tra we're trauma-informed and it's so much harder to internalize that and, and apply it in practice because often the times when we need to strive for trauma-informed practice the most are the most challenging situations when our own kind of autopilot or our own biases kind of really come into play because it's, it, because it's a challenging situation. One of the situations that I think is really challenging when you're when you're in it as a as a practitioner, but where 
it's really important to take a trauma-informed kind of approach to to your relationship and your engagement with with someone is when someone's really angry I see this a lot between you know working in, in settings where folks you know have lost a lot of their rights and they're stressed and having a really hard time and, and not having their their needs met or heard and I think it's somewhat natural, I, maybe not natural, but it's somewhat um, automatic for, for folks who are in front of someone who's angry to also become angry and to meet that energy and want to set boundaries or want to respond in a way that's like a, a becomes a power struggle. And that when I've witnessed that or been in, in, been a part of thing of in, interactions like that, that never goes well. <laughs> that um, becomes really harmful and stressful and distressing for everyone involved. And I think that a kind of a trauma-informed approach or um, lens when you're, when you meet someone or, or you're met with someone um, who's in a state of, of anger and frustration, being trauma-informed means understanding that, maybe reminding yourself that or just telling yourself that what they're feeling is legitimate. Oftentimes when folks are, have, access care or accessing care they're like maybe their needs are not being met maybe they're frustrated maybe they're facing just a whole litany of, of systemic challenges or oppression or violence that they've just had to deal with up until this point and now they're angry and that it, it's completely it can be a completely rational response to every, everything that's kind of come up before this point I find for myself if I can frame it in that way it becomes less about me and it becomes less about like the specific instance and the power struggle that could be having to play out at that moment and more about trying to understand where someone's coming from and what needs not being met and what can we what can we try to work towards instead trauma-informed practice sometimes has to really be like a reframe of a situation and very sometimes it has to be very intentional engagement and compassion i think it might have been a meme it might have been like a meme of a, a, a Tumblr post uh, that I saw a, lot, a while ago. And what it said was, I, like, I enter my practice to, like, with the knowledge and, and understanding that what the people that I'm working with are doing the best that they can every day. And it might not always look like the best that I expect. And it might not always look like what I value or what I would interpret as being like ideal. But it's, you know, it might be the best that someone's able to bring into that interaction that day. And that, that just gives a lot of space. It gives space for people to be where they're at. And then I can, and then you want to, if you can carry that and hold that space and have that respect and compassion for someone, it goes a long way. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for that thoughtful answer and really pulling on those important details of how important it is to stay curious when we're working with people and how important it is to be aware of the power dynamics and power struggles because when these conversations shift into the power struggle as you said like no one wins it does not go well um, and kind of doing that internal work to avoid those pitfalls is so important so Jess in your experience do you remember if trauma-informed practice was talked about at all when you were training to be a nurse or in your continuing education since then and if it did come up, did you find it helpful or were there any harmful ways that sort of training about trauma-informed practice has come up in your professional experience? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think I was 
uh, quite fortunate in my nursing education in some ways, as devastating as the whole experience was. The, uh, there was a big focus in my program on trauma-informed practice, and it seemed to be highlighted in, in across different courses, which I think was actually transformational for me. And it was the inclusion of the discussions around trauma-informed practice and some discussions around like Indigenous cultural safety and um, kind of like that eye towards like health equity that we talked about uh, throughout my program that uh, really made me feel like nursing was uh, the right space for me and the right place for me to be in because that really resonated with my personal values and the uh, kind of future role I saw for myself in my community. And so it was, it was talked about, it was highlighted. Um, I know that it didn't land as a meaningful uh, learning experience for um, my, some of my classmates who felt that nursing was more about learning pharmacology and learning disease process and learning skills and like hands-on, hands-on like skills in the lab and that this trauma-informed practice and relational practice were too fluffy perhaps where actually I think it's the hardest part of of nursing and it's the hardest skill to learn and practice and keep practicing it's it is I think we alluded to earlier but like it's easy to talk about it's easy to to provide a definition and for mo- and most people are like yeah that makes sense like of course of course this sounds like it should be the way it goes or sure why not like that why you don't want to hurt people more when they engage in care that makes a lot of sense but it is something that is not not everyone's kind of natural natural kind of disposition and skill set um a lot of folks i think have grown up in a world where they've not had to be aware of of systemic or social harms and injustices and they're and that's wonderful like no one should have to be aware of these things um in a in an ideal world we wouldn't have to be having these conversations but that's just not how things work and so a lot I think a lot of people have yeah been able to kind of be unaware of of the world that other people experience and so it's not it's not something that they're lean to lean towards or that they're attuned to it takes a lot of work and it's really personally devastating I think when you do start attuning to the kind of inequity and injustice and violence that exists in our world the way to kind of help trauma for practice become meaningful is there needs to be like there needs to be awareness a raising of awareness that there are these there are things that happen in the world that are harmful to people and that sounds super basic but it really is that takes effort i um i teach uh courses in indigenous health and a bulk of the, that work is talking about the history of colonization and the history of, um, and the ongoing uh, impacts of colonization and how that shapes the, the very real world that Indigenous people live in that, can, that is in many ways quite different than the social context that non-Indigenous people live in. And so that ta- it's, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work to be educated in, in these really challenging kind of concepts there's a level of or there's a need for self-reflection and and understanding um identifying and and challenging kind of implicit biases that people need to undertake and that's that's a very painful process for people sometimes because you kind of need to recognize and address some of those yeah those unconscious beliefs that we hold all hold and sometimes those are not very nice things to 
come up against. And it's, and, and then you just have to keep doing that. <laughs> you can't stop. Um, it's not a, it's not an end point. There's no kind of like stamp of I'm trauma informed in my practice and I don't have to, I, I, I'm good. I'm going to always be good at this. And it's not, it's, I've achieved, I've achieved trauma informed practice or I've achieved safe practice. And that's, an, uh, that's not the case. It's a dynamic and growing and evolving practice. It needs con like constant work and it's always going to be evolving and you're going to find yourself in situations where uh, maybe you don't engage in the most trauma-informed way um, because we're human like as healthcare providers we're we're human and like we have our own bad days and rough experiences or, or you know we might be find ourselves uh, triggered or feeling unsafe in a situation and that's part of being human but the kind of I think the more that we put in the work towards self-awareness and reflection and um, healthy uh, critical lens to how we how we carry ourselves in our work we can be more present and and able to kind of address those things that come up for us internally and then we can carry ourselves in a way that's safer and more compassionate for the people that we work with thanks for sharing your perspective on all of this it's really i think it's really important the points that you highlighted about reflective practice and that this isn't a one and done. It's a continuous learning process that we're developing as nurses and human beings as well. So I'm wondering what's your hope for the future of trauma-informed care and trauma-informed practice and the way that we look at trauma, the way that we address trauma, especially as a nursing pr profession and a nursing discipline um, and your ideas about nursing as, as leaders in trauma-informed practice. In terms of how we look at and how we I guess, like strive for um, trauma-informed care, we need to we need to think of it as an active as an active pursuit. It's again, we're, yeah, it's not a one and done. We're never gonna be trauma-informed. End period. There, it's always gonna be ongoing. So these like concept, this concept of practice and action and and this ongoing work I think is really important and that needs to be embedded in the ways that we talk about our practice. Because I think you bring up a really important point that it's we're never going to be done. We're always going to be growing and really there's some pretty deep systemic stuff that needs to be addressed as well. It's not just an individual issue of I'm trauma-informed as a clinician therefore the system is trauma-informed. So a shift that I think needs to happen in the ways that we conceptualize and talk about trauma, uh, when we talk about trauma-informed care or practice, is an understanding of what trauma is. I think that we're, we're inclined to view trauma as specific instances of something bad happening, whether it's a specific instance of violence or, or loss or something like that. And we see those as these kind of like discrete episodes in someone or instances in someone's life that you can draw a line from this bad thing happened and now this now you're having this behavior or outcome related directly to that bad thing that happened and that is important and that's totally valid and that is something we absolutely need to be attuned to uh, but what gets missed in that um, in that understanding that definition is the uh, or the kind of like systemic and community and and intergenerational traumas um, that just shape so much of the like 
experience and opportunities that people have in their life. And when we miss out on that, it's, can, it's hard to, you can't pinpoint a specific bad thing that happened to somebody because it's, everything's just kind of shrouded in this context of harm that someone just exists in or has to live their life in. And the ways that that can show up in like in illness and in, in behavioral challenges in bad interactions with, with healthcare is really powerful. As healthcare providers and healthcare professionals, I think it's really important that we turn our attention to those, to that reality, to that awareness of, of systemic um, harm and oppression and, and how that affects people in like Indigenous cultural safety um, or in Indigenous health. We talk a lot about understanding of inter intergenerational trauma and how something that happened to family members or, um, or parents or grandparents impacts people today and how thing like how the lived experiences of of the people around us inform our individual kind of experiences of the world and that's and that's something that is great that we're seeing that discussed in certain areas but it everyone's also affected by the things that happen to other people we're all interconnected and we're all like kind of going through this world together even though it doesn't always feel like it and that can be a positive thing and that can be a real negative thing too so so i guess kind of the uh the hope i would have for kind of the future of trauma-informed practice is this is a is a broadening of of our understanding of what what trauma is an attunement um of healthcare professionals as and nurses to the broader Kind of concepts and structures and contexts that, that people live their lives in and the different ways that that can be like harmful to to people and how people carry that carry all of these complexities with them every day and that's sometimes what they're carrying into their relationship with the healthcare provider and then with that awareness having compassion and and, and just having a little bit of understanding that maybe that's where someone's coming from and so we do that in our individual practices. And if we're able to do that as an individual, we also need to be looking broader than ourselves as well. Because in the same way that we talk about the people that we're in relationship with as, as healthcare professionals and as nurses, we talk about them having a myriad of contexts and forces that act on them. We are also, you know, as nurses, we exist in systems and we function and we work in contexts of very powerful forces and systems that that sh shape our practice shape the options shape the resources that we have access to uh shape the the language that we use and the the possibilities that we see and that's the harder part like there's there's a lot that we can do personally and personally i can get really good at self-reflection and i can really like break down my my own my own biases and barriers maybe one day and um you know I, I could work and work and work and work on that but i would still be in a workplace setting where there are policies there's other providers there's physical structures there's the healthcare culture um, that are not trauma-informed that have not also done that work and and that's gonna make it really hard to to apply all the to you know strive in my own practice for trauma-informed care 
so I think I think that there's a there's a responsibility to question some of the policies and practices and norms uh, that exist in our workplaces that exist in the in the settings in which we provide care. I think that we need to talk. We need to talk about it. It's really important that we talk about things and 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 quite yeah question and challenge. Like if there's a new policy that comes up in our workplace that's maybe or like more oriented to like an organizational safety and maybe it comes at the cost of uh, some rights and dignity of the of the people that come into our care we should be talking about that we and a personal journey of trauma-informed practice will help you be attuned to why something like that might be harmful and it's your it's our responsibility to speak up and address that because we're in these positions of power as healthcare providers uh, where we have more power than the people that come into the into the care relationship with us and so it's our responsibility to to be paying attention to what else is going on no single person is going to be able to do that all the time in every situation but it's there's no real other option i guess um in the same way of any like any of these massive needs for shifts and transformation it can't it's not going to happen from the top exclusively or from the top of an organization or hierarchy it's going to have to come from individual practitioners taking taking that on and and as much as they as they can um i'm happy that you know we do like i was able to you know encounter trauma-informed practice as a concept in school in my nursing school education and so i know that it's out there in the education uh systems at least to start people on that journey and how we're going to move forward is we're just we need to keep talking about it and keep questioning and, and 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 adapting as as we learn more and as things change and as we hear from the people that we work with because we might be thinking that what we're doing is trauma-informed uh, because it seems trauma-informed to, to us as, a, as individuals, but we need to be listening to what we're being, we're, we're, what we're being told by the people that we're in a caring relationship with and be able to take that feedback and adjust our practices or adjust the services that we uh, can influence. I think that's such an important point to make that we have to ask the people that we're providing care to if our practice is trauma-informed. And part of that is actually educating our patients and the people we care for about what trauma-informed practice is and what this goal is that we're trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, how will we know? How will we know we've done it if we don't even ask? Totally. Like we, we, can, we can't just name ourselves as trauma-informed and, and put it up on a poster and, and say that that's great and we're awesome. And then expect that people know what that means or agree with it. I've, I've seen some examples of something that might be kind of helpful. It's this kind of idea of like, these are like when someone is, you know, kind of entering into a, a care relationship as a, as a re- recipient of care that they, you know, kind of are informed of what they're kind of like, what are your rights and what can you expect as, as part of your care here that is you know includes like dignity and respect and things like that that again seems so maybe seems so obvious but a lot of people have not ever maybe encountered those you know being treated with respect in a in a healthcare setting and so as the, as a maybe a means of educating or informing people like what what trauma informed practice could 
should look like and and what that could look like for them as they receive care and then being receptive and respectful when feedback comes in that that's not what people are experiencing is uh maybe something that we should be kind of incorporating thank you so much for those thoughts jess and i think it is so important that we capture not just what we think is trauma-informed practice and care but also how this is playing out for the people that we're interfacing with and how what the experience is because ultimately that's what we're trying to shift is creating safer spaces and safer environments and so having that two-way dialogue and the humility to have those conversations is so important. Thank you so much in general for everything that you've shared today. I think you have shared such thoughtful and nuanced perspectives about trauma-informed care and both how this plays out in our personal um, lives and our professional lives. And thinking as we move towards wrapping up, any last thoughts or any kind of questions you want to put out to our listeners? Well, I just want to say thank you to both of you, Claire and Michelle, for inviting me into this conversation. Um, I think this is the uh, kind of an example of how to how to engage in trauma-informed practices. We're talking about it, and we're 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 de- like developing and evolving our our concepts of trauma-informed practice and and the different ways that we can engage it in our work. And it's a it's not a practice. It's not work that can be done in isolation from from others. It's very much we um, we need to be doing this as a, as as a community. Yeah, you can't you can't do that just you know reading and sitting by yourself. So I think the more that we can as a whole talk about talk about what it means and 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 work through the sticky parts because the nuances of when of actually applying these ideas in this theory when you're applying it in practice it can be really sticky and 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 maybe sometimes uncomfortable or it might not always align with uh what your you know the colleague beside you does and that can be hard and scary and confusing and it's um important to have spaces and opportunities to to talk through that and work through it and make mess up a little bit here and there and and um and then learn a bit and go back and try again because it is, it's, we're never going to be perfect. Uh, it's never going to be uh, a one size fits all. It's never going to be like, oh, I just got to learn the, the, the algorithm and it's going to be fine. So the, so having opportunities to, you know, yeah, to work through it and, and, and develop our, our ideas and our practice is so valuable. And I, I really appreciate that. And I would encourage folks to, to find ways to, to engage in, uh, engage in those opportunities to, 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 to develop their, their capacity and their skill um, in different ways, not, not only in your workplace. So thank you very much. Thank you. You've given us so much to think about. Thanks so much for those thoughts, Jess. And thanks again for joining us. Your input has been so helpful in this episode and we look forward to having you back hopefully as a guest again in the future. Thanks so much. Trauma-informed practice is a big topic. It's not just a buzzword. It's essential to nursing practice. It's essential to safe and effective healthcare delivery. But it's not a given. It's not something that comes naturally to all of us, or something that's inherently built into our healthcare system and our healthcare structures. When we take a step back and reflect a bit, we can see that sometimes the ways in which we intend to help might actually be harming. So let's stand together and make a shift. Thank you for listening. 
and join us next month where we'll be discussing violence in healthcare.